Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Welcome to the Great America Show. Delighted to have you with us. And we have a show that will be packed with information and perspective that you won't get anywhere else. Suddenly, the Biden administration pivoting to the bellicose Iranians. The Iranian president drawing the attention of the White House with an ultimatum for President Biden demanding Biden put former President Trump and Secretary of State Pompeo on trial. On trial? For what? For killing Iranian general and terrorist leader Qasem Soleimani. Or Iran will carry out terrorist attacks inside the United States and around the world. That's a pretty direct threat, isn't it? I don't know about you, but my guess is the Iranians got the idea of demanding a trial of Trump and Pompeo by watching the radical Dems and their Marxist wing put on another Soviet-style show trial when they formed the so-called January 6th Committee. Or perhaps it was those two baseless impeachment efforts or the radical Dems' creation of a fraudulent special counsel investigation. But you say, those amounted to nothing. But the Iranians, just like Pelosi and Schumer, don't care whether or not there's any base. They're just interested in... Propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. And the Iranians named 53 people they've sanctioned. And all we hear from the Biden National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, is this meaningless statement. Are you ready? The United States will, quote, respond to any attacks carried out by Iran, end quote. What does that mean? Go ahead attack our citizens, and we'll send you a sharply worded letter. We'll respond. Really? Well, joining us today to take up all of this is the president of the London Center for Policy Research, CIA-trained intelligence officer, 35 years' experience in national security, advisor to the intel community, uh, Pentagon, key members of Congress. With us, our friend, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Shaver. It's great to have you with us, Tony, here on The Great America Show. Lou, it's, it's great to be on with you as always, and uh, I look forward to tearing it up here as we tore it up in the past. So thank you for having me. <laughs> a past that reaches back, what, 30 years, something like that. It's a long it's, time, it, longer it, than I want a, to think about. Well, I, well you know, I, I, you get my age and you're kind of proud to, <laughs> uh, to have that uh, lengthy uh, perspective. So yeah, the Iranians yeah. threatening this administration directly. And if people haven't noticed, the Iranians are only the third, third entity, mm -hmm. the third nation to do so. Right. Xi Jinping, his communist government has been very direct in threatening the United States. So has the government of Vladimir Putin. 
And now the Iranians, and I was only half kidding when I said they got the idea from the Dems about putting on a trial, but only half kidding. All right. Your thoughts about this absolute uh, ultimatum, these absolute threats against the United States. So let's start with uh, what they're upset about. That is the Iranians, the Soleimani, Soleimani uh, killing. Uh, Lou, people tend to forget because uh, the public doesn't follow this as close as I wish they should. Soleimani was killed, incidental to combat operations in Iraq. He wasn't in Iran. And uh, last time I checked, uh, we are still uh, working hard to try to bring stability to Iraq. And I don't want to get into the circumstance of how we're there. Probably a whole new show for that. But suffice it to say that Soleimani was engaged in planning and executing acts of terror. We knew this. And he was he was a, a casualty of combat. So that's the that's the way I see it. I think it was a legal uh, as, as much as you're going to get these days, a, a legal act to counter an act of terror. And that's what the Iranians are upset about. And that's what they're saying that that uh, we, the United States and the current form of the Joe Biden White House should, quote unquote, hold accountable or hold trials uh, for against uh, President Trump and uh, Mike Pompeo. That's that's all well, I'm mean, saying to this. Let me put it this way. Yeah. The hell with the Iranians. Yeah, uh, he he was killed. Uh, almost two years ago. And now suddenly this is a subject of discussion and concern for the, uh, the, the state of Iran. It's absolutely ludicrous. And then to sanction American citizens, amongst yeah. others, uh, as if they're going to carry out these threats. And for the, the National Security Advisor, yeah. Jake Sullivan, to say we would respond. We're going to wait until they kill somebody to respond why don't we take care of business right now? Well, it's that's a very simple. There's a very simple algorithm at work here, I think, Tony, and I want to get your thought on this. Yeah. So if that's you, the issue. If you, is... if you take out their infrastructure, uh, blow up their refineries, take out about, uh, call it $200 billion worth of infrastructure uh, from, from a distance, uh, and every time they open their mouths, take out another $50 billion. Right. This has got to stop. And but but these uh, milk toast uh, Jake Sullivan's that people the Biden administration are not going to get anything done. Sullivan is an apologist, and Lou, that's your point. That's the answer to your point. The Iranians have brought this back up because they know it would get traction with the the current completely incapable national security uh, apparatus of the Biden White House. So uh, one of the things we could do, and this is something that I think uh, we should do is consider the fact that Iran helps uh, uh, support uh, the North Korean nuclear program. And in addition to that, the Chinese, the, the, the communist Chinese have <clears throat> any given time about two to three weeks of, 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 of gas on hand. They cannot produce their own. The, one of the largest providers of, of, of fuel, of oil, is Iran. So, gee, if you want to do yourself a favor and make life difficult for your for, for other rogue countries, you could go to the source of that, which is the Iranians. The Iranians are uh, behind the scenes more than happy to provide any number of resources, be it hard currency to the North Koreans for them to continue their nuclear program, or be it the Chinese to continue to fuel their economy. Uh, these are things that we 
need to be looking at. And that's part of the problem. You've helped illustrate the very issue of the of the Biden White House. They are literally playing checkers on a chessboard. Uh, we have studied these sorts of things, Lou. Uh, I often go to the, my, my Reagan uh, mentors, friends and mentors, and, and kind of check my thoughts on this. And the idea has to be, how do we examine uh, the, the, the world from the perspective of linkage? And then if you want to affect the Chinese long term, what can you do against the Iranians? And what can you do at, the, at, at this point in time against the Iranians, which slow their ability down to either threaten or conduct acts of terror? Uh, and it, there are huge vulnerabilities within the Iranian system. One of them is that the youth there, Lou, hate their government. Uh, we missed an opportunity back in 2009 to support what was then called the Green Revolution. The right. idea was that, uh, you know, there was this Arab Spring. Well, we should have been supporting the Persian Spring. Uh, we should have been out there trying to push for these people to essentially throw off the yoke of theocracy. Uh, and they are a theocratic, very fascistic uh, country run by these uh, mullahs and, and uh, help the people of Iran to be free. Uh, boy, and you know, uh, if you have your own people uprising against your government, it's 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 darn hard to continue to develop weapons of mass destruction, nuclear weapons, if your own people are coming at you. And I still believe we should have done everything, and we could now do everything we can to support the Iranian people, the Persians rising up against their their theocratic government. Yeah, it, it, it's stunning, I think, to many of us that. Uh, that we can watch their speedboats uh, armed yeah. with 50 caliber weapons uh, harassing the United States Navy in the Persian Gulf. Uh, it's, it's, it's stunning to me that the United States, under uh, a, a series of presidents, Republican and Democrat, have tolerated their nonsense. Uh, and they only encourage them, uh, whether it's uh, their sponsorship of the Houthis in Yemen but whether it is attacking U.S. soldiers in Iraq as they continue to do to this very day. And, and neither, no White House points out the Iranians were responsible for a third of the American lives lost in Iraq. Right. A third. Uh, and, and to think that uh, we permit this nonsense, this bellicose, this, uh, these bellicose ultimatums, it's time to stop it, in my opinion. Right. Well, I don't know if you know this, Lou. Uh, uh, we've covered before my book, Operation Darkheart, which covered my time in Afghanistan in 2003. Right. When I was uh, when we were interrogating a U.S. citizen in a place called Gardez, uh, his brother, Dr. Ali Shah, was an IRGC operative who we captured as well. Uh, so he was working for Soleimani. So these guys think about this, Lou. In Afghanistan in 2003, the Iranians were funding the very insurgency that was growing against us back then. So uh, this, th there's absolutely no doubt that these guys have been up to no good. They continue to be up to no good. And uh, this is something that multiple administrations have not done well. I, I, I think Trump, uh, through uh, his, his staff, were the first and only ones to take the threat seriously and do something about it by taking Soleimani out. So again, it, I'm, I'm of a mind that uh, we need to start planning now, if, if we can get through the next two years, to 2024 and how we can then help influence appropriately a return to an aggressive foreign policy that allows for us to, to go after 
these individuals who are constantly trying to kill Americans. I don't know how we stand for this and and don't do anything about it. Yeah, no one seriously thinks that uh, Iran would have been this bold and provocative, that uh, Putin would move uh, hundreds of thousands of his troops, uh, at least a couple hundred thousand of his troops into position with heavy armor, uh, rockets and missiles ready uh, to invade Ukraine. He's not there for a simple, uh, simple military exercise, uh, I, I guess a, a, an exercise with 200,000 soldiers would not be a simple one to, to carry <laughs> off. Uh, but they're, they're in constant positioning uh, and moving forward uh, against that uh, western border of Russia right. uh, with Ukraine. Uh, Trump would never have permitted that. No. And you would never have heard Xi Jinping threatening uh, Donald Trump, as he has Joe Biden in the United States uh, over the past year, uh, since uh, Mr. Biden has uh, taken over the Oval Office. Right. So let's walk through that very quickly uh, on Ukraine and Russia. Lou, one of the best things we could do is triple down support to our Polish allies. The Polish are uh, extraordinarily uh, committed to their republic, and they love us. We should right. love them in a military way. We should embrace that, embrace that relationship. Two other countries which have been uh, reluctantly, but now very uh, much are open to the idea of joining uh, NATO is Norway and and uh, and uh, Finland. So uh, those countries have both been troubled greatly by the old Soviet Union. Uh, one of them was invaded during World War II, right before World War II. And they are continuing to be troubled now by Putin's uh, Russia. So why not bring them in and make NATO even stronger? These are things which, uh, Lou, cost us nothing. This does not endanger our blood or treasure one little bit, but does show Putin that there's going to be consequences for his continued aggression. And again, these are things which uh, we study on a routine basis. And Lou, can you imagine, uh, this was a report that came out last week, and and I, it's from NBC, but I know Courtney Kuby, who actually wrote it, I I know and trust her. Uh, Biden administration weighs offer to Russia to cut U.S. troops in Eastern Europe. (laughs) Really? You're going to offer to cut troops in Eastern Europe at the very time Putin's aggressively seeking to gain territory in Ukraine? This is can, this is literally insanity. Can you imagine the expression on President Putin's face? Yeah, when his intelligence and uh, diplomatic uh, uh, leaders come to him at the Kremlin and say, you know, they will uh, they'll t- remove their troops. Yeah, uh, as he's threatening Ukraine, Poland, and all of uh, of Eastern Europe. Uh, there's just it's impossible to think of anything more pathetic unless it is Jake Sullivan saying we'll have a response for you uh, instead of making it very clear publicly, unequivocally, that this will not be tolerated by uh, Western civilization. Lou, they are counting on Jake Sullivan issuing a strongly worded memo as their only response. And unfortunately, I think that's probably what we can expect. You mentioned uh China say that we have huge leverage on and we choose not to use it is uh, the ability to essentially upend the continued growth of the Chinese government. And let me explain that. Uh, Any given year, 
China spends as much on developing internal sources of potable water for its, its huge population. Uh, and they are constantly seeking protein. Uh, they are a very hungry population. And then you combine that with the uh, inherent vulnerability of the fact that their economy depends on Middle East oil far more than ours. I mean, uh, we were under Trump, uh, President Trump, a, a net exporter of oil. We've, we're not now, but we were, and we could go back to that quickly. China has no such option. Uh, their geography has not provided them the gift of, of a great deal of, of petroleum. They have a lot of coal, which they're developing, but coal doesn't run cars, it doesn't run airplanes, it doesn't run ships. And this is where uh, Lou, as a as a planner, I planned, uh, you know, as one of the folks that's, uh, back in the '90s, looking at vulnerabilities. The Chinese economy is uh, is very very vulnerable, and uh, when you combine that with other regional allies, the Vietnamese, the South Koreans, the Philippines, uh, India, we could do huge damage. Uh, and not even be obvious about it regarding just interfering with shipping, uh, causing catastrophic failures of infrastructure, just to remind them that uh, they need to back off and otherwise they would suffer catastrophic failure of even more. And again, going back to the principle of, uh, of how to actually uh, hobble an enemy without having to lose your blood and treasure. Let me tell you, if you have uh, a billion people who are upset about the fact they're not being fed and don't have water, I think that internal problem would uh, diffuse any ability of the Chinese uh, leadership, the PRC leadership, to do expeditionary things because they right. have to be focused on the inside. Again, me, this is not rocket science. We know this stuff. It, it, it is not rocket science, but it is also uh, a changing science. And, and Tony, let me, let me put together a hypothesis for you sure. uh, to consider. And that is that we did do that. Then we have to examine our vulnerabilities, yes. the United States. Right now, we depend on China for 98% of our pharmaceuticals and pharmaceutical ingredients. 98%. Right. We depend on China uh, to uh, allow us to still gather up some rare earth in the world markets. We are absolutely dependent upon China for the manufacture of our clothing, of uh, almost every product imaginable between Walmart and Amazon. We're talking about probably what is, I will, this is a guess, uh, not a statement of fact. Uh, I would guess we're probably uh, not only the largest market for Chinese exports, uh, but probably with those two companies, I would say probably we're first and second mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh, dependency on them for exports of everything from appliances to clothing, you name it, uh, and now soon automobiles, I'm sure. Uh, we have uh, also, because of DARPA, the, in the uh, 1990s, developing hypersonic missile uh, technology and then putting it on the shelf in 2000. But the Chinese you know, raided our cupboard right. of that technology and so much more. So now we have a missile gap a hypersonic missile gap with both Russia and China. And by the way, shipping all of those goods and material from China, from Asia, where we have also allowed our corporations to uh, offshore production rather than uh, building it here. Uh, 
that, that shipping is 90% owned by the Communist Chinese Party. Right. Uh, those container ships are just basically a, a side hustle for the CCP. But we're totally dependent upon that shipping. Right. Uh, and, and the list goes on. If we so much as raise our voice, we would have to be prepared uh, for them to also exact some considerable punishment because we are so dependent upon them for finished products that it's, it's just uns unspeakably stupid that our leaders ever let us get in this position. Yes, sir. No, I, I, I'm one of those that, be, that really believed two years ago this was an opportunity because of the, the disruption of the supply chain for us to return to the manufacture of our own uh, material, especially uh, prescription drugs, certain types of uh, steel, certain militarily important items. And of course, uh, the Trump White House started looking at some of that. Uh, and I think we were making progress. Uh, heck, we were even looking at partnering with Rutgers University, which is not a conservative school, their business school, and examining how to reinvigorate U.S. manufacturing of these things. And it okay. just it, it faded away instantly when the Biden administration came in. And to that point, Lou, uh, I think uh, there's uh, it is in our interest, both because uh, we need to reinvigorate U.S. industry, uh, but also we should not be dependent on someone who does not share our values. And, and, and like you said, uh, all business in China, every business is either de facto owned by the Chinese Communist Party or only exists because of the forbearance of the Chinese Communist Party. There's nothing independent about its industry. And they have used that uh, ability to essentially imprison our economy. And it's a very dangerous situation. And the dangerous situation that uh, the world represents right now, principally Iran, China, Russia. Internally, we're watching uh, a, a, it seems, almost a fifth column uh, that has been formed whether it be a woke military, whether it be intelligence agencies uh, that are being used by the radical Dems, uh, the Marxist left, uh, to, to weaponize right. uh, uh, attacks on American citizens, uh, calling them domestic terrorists, thereby suggesting that they can use whatever surveillance uh, or, or, or uh, response uh, to domestic terrorists uh, legally and, and viably. Right. It's disgusting. And, and your thoughts on what is happening with the intelligence community, with the military, uh, under this administration and this civilian and military leadership? So this really uh, went critical during the, the Biden, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the Obama years. Uh, one of the things, uh, one of my friends and, and uh, Someone I've worked with over the years is Jim Woolsey, Jim, former director of CIA. Uh, back in the 90s, I was running an operation, which he briefed to President Clinton. Anyway, we've remained friends since then. And so Jim had mentioned to me that he had gone to one of the updates uh, over at CIA. Former directors get to go over there for updates. And he went in to get an update from a, a guy named John Brennan, Lou. You, you know John. John's a, mm -hmm. uh, I could tell you some stories about John. Anyway, he goes in and he gets this briefing. And during this briefing, this important briefing, John Brennan bragged to all these former directors of CIA that he was proud that his primary priority had finally come true, that the CIA had become the premier employer of gay and lesbians. 
I don't know what that has to do with spying and keeping track of our adversaries, but that was John Brennan's focus. And this has permeated, it's just gotten worse. And now you have the intelligence community, you have the Department of Defense, all focused on gender and race issues as their primary issue, rather than can the, can the military uh, figure out how to break things and kill adversaries on call. And that's why you've seen this, uh, this placement of people like uh, Lloyd Austin, uh, you know, uh, Lou, I know General Austin. He was a brigadier general when we were in Afghanistan. And I don't want to uh, cast any aspersions beyond those I personally know about the man. The man was not competent. He was not competent to be a one-star general. He's not competent to be the, the Secretary of Defense. And the reason you have people like Lloyd Austin selected to be the Secretary of Defense is because they are malleable and they focus more on social justice and woke issues than they do on competence and military efficiency regarding how do we create and, and maintain the best possible military force to defend the United States and our allies. Uh, and you know, so this is very dangerous. In that regard, I'll bet most Americans don't know what the size of the U.S. military is, how many combat brigades we have ready for combat and deployment, uh, and compare that to previous decades. Right. When uh, going back to the end of the Cold War to 1990, uh, 1991, yeah, it, it's it, it's stunning to see how few people we have in the military, and one of the reasons we're seeing all of this wokeness is the military can't keep up its recruitment. Right. Uh, the volunteer military is has has never worked. The military doesn't want to acknowledge it. Our our both parties won't acknowledge it. But the, in the absence of the selective service, we are immensely, immensely uh, vulnerable. And we don't even have the apparatus for a call-up right. in place. And our National Guard, our reserves are depleted uh, and, and not ready. Uh, it, it's a terrible moment. So and you're... No, I appreciate your uh, awareness of this, Lou. Most other folks don't recognize what you said. Right now, we are at an all-time low of, uh, of actual uh, muscle ready to go. And by, by the way, you might find it ironic that we have more general officers than ever. We have more general officers than we had at the height of World War II. We have all, all, this, all these stars and nobody to lead. Because the last number I heard on that is we have today. Now, think back to this, folks. In World War II, we had 12 million Americans serving in the United States mm -hmm. military. We have four times as many general staff officers <laughs> today as we had then. Yeah. If, if you can imagine that. Think about that. It's insane. So that's where we're at. We have all of this, uh, all of these so-called leaders who have uh, essentially not, uh, not shown any ability to lead. And one of the things I think we stepped away from, and this really started in Korea, and as a matter of fact, we want to do a, a retelling of this issue. Uh, we have established, Lou, a system where people are measured by performance, M-O-P, rather than measures of effectiveness. During World War II, uh, I think Dwight Eisenhower and others, uh, General Marshall, uh, all examined and and judge people by their ability to achieve. 
that no longer matters. It's all about now, do you approach and support a specific uh, woke objective or woke idea? Uh, it has nothing to do with performance. And again, when you, you, you take that as a leadership failure and you combine it with a lack of resources regarding individuals, regarding a real equipment, real training, then you've created a condition for any near peer uh, challenger to likely have a really good shot at defeating us. And I, 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 it, it pains me to say this, but I just hope people are listening to recognize that we're not being, we're not saying we want this. We're saying we're trying to give you all the policy guidance to wake up before it's too late. And that's the issue, Lou, uh, to your point. We, we don't have a, a, a service. And, and is, for, the, for example, the Israelis always require some level of military service. I think it gives them a great benefit. It, it allows people to understand the importance of defending their country. Uh, and I think we should have something similar, which requires that you have some level of service uh, regarding having uh, an understanding and appreciation for how important uh, our nation is and protecting our interests. I think it's part of why we have so many kids turning to woke because they don't have an alternative uh, that gives them an understanding of why the republic is so important, what is necessary to sustain the republic, and why we don't have a democracy, we have a republic which pers persists to protect the interest of those individuals who uh, are not in the blue um, strongholds of, of the uh, oh. East Coast. Yeah, you know, let's be clear, the Democratic Party yes. is trying to upend uh, everything that is uh, American, the American way, our traditional uh, values, uh, our heritage, uh, it, it's disgusting. And the Republican Party is an effete organization right now. The leadership are rhinos, uh, and they are trying to select their uh, rhino friends. Mitch McConnell talking about retiring as uh, as majority leader, excuse me, minority leader in the U.S. Senate. He he's tapping John Thune, who is not. A, I mean, these are walking political zombies. Right. They are absolutely out of touch, indolent. Uh, passive to the point of uh, I, 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 appalling uh, and are incapable of leading in an America first uh, uh, government, which is precisely what this country needs at all yes, times. Sir. Right. I, I want to say, Tony, we've covered a lot of area here. Uh, you've brought up wonderful uh, uh, points and issues uh, for us to discuss, and I hope you'll come back soon to, to do so. Uh, our custom is to give you the last, our guests, the last word, and I do so now uh, as we conclude here, Tony. So, Lou, uh, as always, it's an honor to, to talk to you. I, I've always appreciated your uh, take no prisoners approach to getting the truth out, and I think that's what's necessary for us to do now. Uh, we have real uh, threats that we've identified, both foreign and domestic. I think it's time that people educate themselves and people like you, I would like to continue to work with to help educate folks on the fact that we have a republic that's not only worth saving, it's worth saving by the fact that it will help preserve by leadership, by our leading by example, it will help preserve the world going in a direction that benefits all individuals and prevents the return of tyranny. 
And I think uh, that should be our focus. And as always, Lou, thank you for your patriotism and, and uh, clear and concise thoughts on how to preserve uh, the Republic. So thank you for having me. Tony, thank you. I appreciate you being here as always and come back soon. Coming up next here on The Great America Show, Catherine Engelbrecht, president and founder of the Electoral Integrity Watchdog Group, True the Vote, will be talking about her group's discovery of illegal ballots in Georgia and just how many of those ballots exist. They believe they were uh, quite a number and whether there were enough of them to change the outcome of the election, at least in Georgia. Catherine Engelbrecht here with us next. Georgia's presidential vote was close. 12,000 votes, the margin for Joe Biden. Now it appears there were a significant number of illegal votes cast. The watchdog group, True the Vote, has video evidence and the admission of at least one ballot harvester who says thousands of votes were likely harvested on election night. As you may know, True the Vote's work in Georgia and its discovery of what seems to be a clear case of ballot harvesting, that is, third parties collecting and delivering ballots to the polls, that is illegal. True the Vote took its evidence to the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and he launched an investigation. With us now, Catherine Engelbrecht, president of True the Vote. Welcome to the Great America Show, Catherine. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Lou. And Catherine, let's start with where you are now, uh, what evidence you've gathered uh, to the degree that you can share that with us, and uh, next steps. Sure. So uh, where we are now is in Georgia. As you mentioned, we have filed an official complaint. In fact, we filed three with the Secretary of State, and they have opened an investigation and are working through um, their machinations on their side to get to the point in which uh, we can uh, work more closely to get to the bottom of what uh, we believe um, the data indicates was an organized and widespread ballot trafficking scheme that, by the way, wasn't just in Georgia. Uh, we have similar information in a handful of other states, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Texas. And all of those reports are yet to drop, um, but the the patterns, the affiliated organizations um, all seem to have a common thread. And, and we're very hopeful that the level of investigation and attention that, that these reports will draw uh, will, will prove out just, just, how, um, just how subverted our process really is. The the idea that there's a widespread uh, effort to uh, harvest ballots, which is uh, illegal uh, uh, on its face. Give us a sense, if you will, before we go through this, so that we can kind of organize our minds around this. In Georgia, what is the kind of evidence, the type of evidence that you have of uh, illegal uh, uh, ballot harvesting? Well, in Georgia, and every every state's a little different, but in Georgia, um, we had an informant who, a confidential informant, I may add, who came forward with some information about their involvement in uh, what was happening on the ground, the 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 end to end uh, the end to end scheduling, if you will, of the ballot trafficking. And so, what we did 
at that point was determined based upon that. And, and, and again, it's really important to keep in mind, we were getting this information from other states too. The, the, the commonalities were um, consistent enough that we thought, okay, how do we approach, if we were going to approach this like taking down a cartel, what would we do? What data is available that leaves um, trackable evidence that would prove up these patterns? And at that point, we decided to procure geospatial data, cell phone data. And we procured an enormous amount of it. In fact, we're now dealing with a petabyte of data. And using that data, we were able to determine- When you say geo geospatial uh, uh, records, you're talking about what is commonly referred to as the ping that uh, can be used uh, by usually law enforcement to track uh, the location of a cell phone. Is that right? That's correct with, with one very important addition. Um, up until just a few years ago, uh, pings were were primarily GPS oriented, and you were getting a ping from cell phone tower to cell phone tower, and you could triangulate around that. And you know it was fairly accurate, but not accurate within inches. Um, over these last few years, you, we have seen the rise of what is referred to as marketing data, and that marketing data, uh, also referred to as geospatial data. Um, lives in any app you have on your phone. And any app that you have on your phone is sending up messages, packages of information about you, where you are, um, where you've been, what your profile looks like. And that is available for sale in a for a variety of purposes. Political mm -hmm. campaigns use it for get out the vote. If you've ever you know been to a to a coffee shop, to a Starbucks, and you pull up and suddenly you get a text that says there's a you know, cappuccino on sale, that's because they're using marketing data to track you. It right. is it is broadly used and that data is available for sale. And so that was the direction that we went in. All right. Terrific. Now with that data, uh, and have you also got, uh, well, how did you use the data uh, as it relates to uh, picking up uh, ballots and depositing them then in these drop boxes, which most states don't, uh, I think that's accurate. I, most states, I don't believe, have those drop boxes. Well, our, our theory was, and of course, at the time, we didn't know what we would find when we, when we went down this path. We let the data tell the story. Uh, our theory was, uh, if there was to be a subversion of process, it was most likely to occur with these new drop boxes that had been privately funded, as we all now know, by CTCL, backed by Mark Zuckerberg. The reason that we focused on those in particular was because they seemed to have um, the greatest amount of confusion around the process, around where they were being put. It was all very sort of, let's just use the word shady. And so that to us was interesting enough to, to set a geofence around uh, geofence essentially is is plotting the coordinates, and then with your marketing data, you can determine the the path or the pattern of people that were coming in and out of that of that space. And so the thought was, where did we see patterns of abuse where people went not once, not twice, not three times, not five times, but in Georgia, the average is twenty three times of the people that we that we found. And and as you work in these, this is just 
you know, mammoth data. But once you begin to separate it, you see that there's a certain group that falls into a certain pattern that is such an outlier that you that you then can dig in and learn more about what those patterns are and and whether or not um, the, right. the the nature of of the, the dropping these you know of, of the repeated visits into the Dropbox is is worth uh, going further. And so, so I, that, I'm going <clears> to <throat> sorry, go ahead. Well, and then that in in the case of Georgia, then we were able to supplement with video. Um, all states were to have had secured uh, video as was recommended uh, by the federal government. But as we now know, most states didn't. And as we're learning in Georgia, they didn't keep the data or didn't keep the video. Uh, but, but we also we have- know that the attorney general, Merrick Garland, sent out a note uh, reminding everyone to keep that data and to keep uh, relevant, anything relevant. Absolutely. 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 Federal standard is to hold it for 22 months. But, you know, if if I had to choose a word to describe the 2020 election, the word would be lawless. It just it, it just didn't. There were so many new standards, n- never before seen uh, consent decrees that were being put into place, all of these new processes. And it just became the Wild West. Right. And that's, you know, that's what we sort of and Georgia we might was, find. And Georgia was principal among those states uh, with consent uh, decrees and uh, indeed uh, carrying out an agreement uh, to in ways in which to change the election. And the secretary of state himself was the, the one who negotiated that, correct? Uh, yes, um, that is true. He was uh, Mark Elias, who is a, is a name I'm sure your listeners are familiar with. Oh, very was, familiar was, with. You know. Right. He was he was he was the orchestra conductor of or appears to be the orchestra conductor of lawsuits, consent decrees and 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 lawfare tactics that were happening uh, in every battleground state, coast to coast. Hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits, hundreds of of new procedures put into place out of the eye of of the the average public so that it, it 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 all was happening behind the scenes in a way that that to, you know, to wrap your mind around it in the aftermath of the election was nearly impossible. Yeah, well, it certainly was impossible uh, for the uh, Trump campaign, uh, for the RNC and the state campaign committees themselves, because the, the radical Dems ran wild. They were changing uh, election rules, regulations and laws. Uh, sometimes the secretary of state doing it uh, rather than the state legislature without That's authorization, right. uh, which is a violation of most, uh, if not all the state constitutions uh, and frankly, federal election law. Absolutely. And in 2020, in the spring and summer of 2020, true, the vote was filing lawsuits in those states uh, for the very for the very reason that you just called out that. They were not following their process. If you want to change an election law, fine, but you've got to do it through the legislature. And this, this, you know, election by fiat is not a direction any of us should be anxious to see take hold. So we were suing, um, but it was happening so fast, and this was so it just, just, you know, un unexplored. This whole new space that we had found ourselves in, and, and it was all happening under this fog of COVID. That it was it was hard, almost impossible to to really 
see see what was going on toward, more toward the horizon line, the play that was already you know afoot, and um, and so that is why uh, in the immediate aftermath of the election, um, where so many groups took right. took a path down in a different a different way, we focused on what we believe to be the absolute way to prove the abuse and the type of data and the process that we approach this with and the, and the contractors that were engaged in this process um, are, are very familiar. This is how law, this is how, this is how crimes are solved routinely. This is, this is how, um, this is how many of our government agencies are identifying patterns of criminal behavior and, right. and what we have identified is nothing less than that. And, and let, with that statement, Catherine, let's examine. Some, we're talking here well over a year after that election. Uh, we know the resources of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, federal agencies, uh, state uh, bureaus investigation, including the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Not a one of them would investigate what, what were clear and obvious anomalies, irregularities that required explanation, uh, whether in, in Georgia, for example, the easiest thing was to, to watch the videos uh, of uh, vans pulling up, as we saw in Wayne County, Michigan, uh, Detroit, Michigan, uh, all sorts of peculiarities uh, in this election, but not a single, as far as I know, not a single investigative agency of either the federal government or the state governments were investigating in the months following that election. Is that true? Well, you know, certainly that's what we that's what we saw from from our vantage point. We have been nose down in this space, um, methodically working towards investigations and in, uh, in, right. in our in our states and and trying uh, very diligently uh, to check every box so that we wouldn't come up against a gotcha moment. We've We've been very thoughtful about the provenance of the data. We have been uh, very uh, intentional about the um, authorities and, and the agencies with which we've shared the data so that it's all got a paper trail. It's all got a chain of custody to it. Um, there's, there's every reason to hope that where we are now uh, will we'll, we'll usher in a, a new discussion. And yes, it is, it is late, but I will also say... Uh, Ballot trafficking, which, you know, it's commonly referred to, the process that we're describing is commonly referred to as ballot harvesting. And as often as I can, I encourage people, let's get away from calling it harvesting. That is far too nice a term. This is ballot trafficking, that this is voter abuse, and this targets the most vulnerable of our communities who are, who are put into a process that has been going on for so long, and of course was you know, exploited beyond the beyond in 2020. But this has been playing out in our communities for years, and we have got to get our arms around it. And I, and I should point out to our listeners, you and I have been talking about voter integrity uh, for more than two decades. I believe that's <laughs> correct. Uh, yeah. And uh, with, you know, various knaves and uh, thieves in the night, uh, working to change and and not all in one party either we should point out but yes, this time correct. this time 
uh, the humdinger seems to be all at the uh, at the hands of the radical Dems and, and the left in this country. I, I want to, if I may narrow down just a bit, and I, by the way, I will accede to your suggestion uh, from here on on uh, the great America show, uh, we'll be talking about uh, ballot trafficking. I love that. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, voter abuse. I love that too. So uh, we're expanding our vocabulary uh, here on the show as uh, live and in color, as they say. Uh, and I appreciate the council. I, I do want to go to now the evidence because the Secretary of State, uh, Brad Raffensperger, uh, uh, did launch the investigation based on your evidence. What was, be as, and I know there's some issues here of, uh, that you would concern you on specificity, perhaps if you have a confidential uh, informant issue, uh, you know, as you said, you've got to be sensitive to that. But what was the evidence? You've got the geospatial evidence uh, and you could track where they went. Where did they go? Where did they come from? Uh, where did they return? Uh, and, uh, you know, whose numbers were you tracking? Ultimately. Well, to be very clear, um, what what we presented in our data was what appears to be the abuse of a process um, by, in, in the case of Georgia, um, a 242 in, individual devices that, uh, according to the data, went on average a total of 23 unique times to drop boxes within our study period. And in Georgia, it was interesting because we were able to look at both the, the general election and the runoff election. Uh, wow. Remember, the, the, you know, what we're doing is never the senatorial the knowledge. What? Correct. Correct. Right. And so we were, you know, we were doggedly determined to just let the data form the trail. And, and what we noticed was um, that there was a, a group that uh, we could separate from the general population, a group of devices that followed these patterns and that uh, followed them not just uh, in, in the space of the drop boxes, but also uh, there's an aspect that loops in certain organizations. And so these 242 let devices. Let, let me guess those organizations were nonprofits. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> and so and so what we did was we um, we presented that to the Secretary of State um, and, you know, are are hopeful that this will begin um, a much broader investigation into. All of the inner workings um, of 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 the of the entirety of what appears to be an, an organized effort to subvert the process um, and, 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 you know, I can tell you a couple things. Number one, um, we are confident that we don't have the full picture because all we looked at were those drop boxes that were, uh, uniquely placed, um, in the, in the 11th hour that were, had been privately funded. And so, you know, the, so Mark, much Zuck more, the Mark Zuckerberg, the Mark, the, correct, correct. So because, because our hypothesis was that if, if there was to be subversion you would likely go to where the, the you know the, the the link in the chain was weakest and those drop boxes were certainly a part of it exactly. and and so our our position is and, and i want to couch it very very carefully 
um, the, the data that we have provided to Georgia and in other states in the days ahead um, suggests patterns that that would support reasonable doubt to look more closely. And that at that point becomes a law enforcement issue. And so I don't, you know, I don't want to say or do anything that could impede that process. Um, but I will, I, I will, I will tell you, it's, it's, it's widespread. Um, it is, it is the result of tireless work over this last year, working through all manner of quality checks to make sure that we're not picking up, you know, somebody that's standing at a bus stop or uh, somebody that's, you know, a UPS driver, whatever the case may be. We're making certain uh, that, that those devices don't fall into those categories as much as we can. But now the onus is going to soon shift. Um, we can go so far and then the government has to step up. Um, but what I have uh, said repeatedly is if the government doesn't step up, um, then then what we have done will be made public. Good. All right. I, and uh, what I'd like to do is invite you back here with each, you know, with each state that you take on. Uh, we'd love to have you here to talk about your progress and uh, and the way forward from here. Uh, would you be willing to do that? Ab absolutely. This is so much of what happened to us in 2020 as a country happened because we we weren't really as educated as we might have been around the process and what is and isn't legal and uh, is and isn't appropriate. And so having those conversations and familiarizing ourselves with uh, how it's supposed to look and feel, I think will will have a huge right. impact in the year ahead. Well, I, I want to turn uh, and I and I know you will. It's just, it is just a, a, a so frustrating that this comes at this time. And when when the people think about well, why didn't these agencies and departments and state and uh, uh, federal uh, agencies in particular not investigate? That's because apparently the election went the way they wanted. So why investigate, right? Uh, it, it's it seems that straightforward. And we said we had a Supreme Court that had two opportunities to step in. And by the way, constitutionally is required to step in a dispute amongst uh, and between states. And they chose not to. Uh, the Supreme Court was cowardly. Uh, the federal government uh, was cowardly, if not corrupt or both. Uh, it's it's very frustrating to think of the shape that our our electoral system is in. What do you think? Well, I, I don't just I, I agree, um, but I would I would challenge us all to look at it from from this point of view. Let 2020 be the line in the sand. Never again. Never again. We've got to move this forward in a way that citizens are hands on in our elections. And if 2020 had to occur in order for 2022 and years forward to be free and fair, then so be it. But if we don't learn the lesson of 2020, then we are doomed to repeat it. Now, I would encourage uh, folks uh, to go to True the Vote. Uh, it, it's truthevote.com, correct, Heather? Yes, uh, truthevote.org. So sorry, truthevote.org. And, and go there because it, it's, it's a very interesting read. 
to look at the things that uh, True the Vote, uh, Catherine's organization is doing, uh, calling for citizen involvement, I would urge you to do so. Uh, and we will be uh, making that recommendation over our social media uh, uh, here uh, on, the, uh, on the Great America Show as well. Uh, I, I, I want to turn to another development, uh, and that is Michelle Obama has just uh, made the announcement that uh, she will be raising a million new uh, voters uh, coming, in, coming into the new election. Uh, how do, what's your reaction to that? Well, um, look, I'm all for voter registration. That's, that's great. Every eligible American citizen should have the opportunity to participate in a process that's free and fair, and they should be registered, and that's great. Um, however, uh, I, I would presume that she is also in full support of the legislation that is trying to be passed, uh, and I think is going to be brought to debate next week called the Freedom to Vote Act. And there's a stipulation in that bill that would make it such that all new voter registrations are automatically absentee ballots. So yep. you want to talk about a, a buffet line for ballot traffickers. There you go. Isn't it a coincidence that she has just decided to register a million new voters concurrently with the effort uh, in the Democratic House and the Democratic Senate? Uh, there's another bill called the People's Vote, I believe, uh, that is uh, the, the sister legislation or brother legislation, depending on what you prefer to call it. Uh, <laughs> It's just, it's amazing to me what the Democrats are trying to do. They are trying to federalize elections in this country, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's not really federalized there because it is the federal government at work here, but it would be a nationalization of our elections. It would eliminate uh, state, uh, state power and state rights uh, and individual citizen uh, rights as well. And it's a it's a concerted effort on the part of the radical Dems, the permanent bureaucracy, the deep state, if you prefer what we're witnessing right now, as Catherine was saying, we've got to be smarter. We've got to be engaged. It's a participatory democracy. There's one problem. Uh, the Republicans aren't smart enough, their leaders, to deal with this. Uh, you mentioned, Catherine, Mark Elias. Uh, I once suggested that the Republican Party raise half a billion dollars. Uh, give it to him uh, to work for them, because there's no Mark <laughs> Elias on the side of the, uh, the the patriots, the conservatives, the independents uh, to counter uh, the the immense damage that he is doing and doing under the auspices of the law and the political system we have. Uh, he's a he's a brilliant lawyer. Uh, he is also uh, an evil force as far as I'm concerned, because he's on the wrong side. What do you think? Well, yeah, I agree, but I also I, I want to to give give hope to people that you have more power than you know at the local level of your elections. Your involvement will change things. Yeah. Observation changes things. Input changes things. Don't don't just take it for granted that what's going on in your backyard is one way or the next. Get involved. Yeah, call, I agree with, you know, yeah. call and, and, and insert yourself into the process, figure it out, um, because they that's that is the one thing 
that these that these politicos that are sort of architecting what I perceive to be an engineered obsolescence of our process. They are going to suffocate it like a boa constrictor suffocates its prey little by little, tighter and tighter until there's nowhere to go. And we just say, you win, forget it. That's what we cannot do. And we are perilously close to that point, but we're not there. We just have to get involved. Yeah, I, I think you're right about calling uh, 2020 the, uh, you know, the, uh, the line in the sand, the red line. Uh, but I, I, I've got to say, I, I would be very specific on this. Find out who the hell your Republican uh, delegates are to the uh, National Convention. Find out who your Republican National Committee men and women are and make damn sure you're fixing it if they're rhinos and make damn sure you're fixing it if they are just uh, establishment, uh, uh, you know, grape gatherers. Uh, it, it's time to give this place a, a good uh, shake by the neck. We saw it in 2010 with the Tea Party. We can do it again. But this is a country right now that's in desperate need of leadership. And having a weak and enfeebled president of the White House doesn't mean that he is incapable of evil. Because every initiative coming out of this White House in some way, uh, shape, or fashion, is intended to weaken the nation, to weaken our values, to weaken uh, uh, the sovereignty of this nation, and every citizen should be concerned. Uh, you're, uh, you know, I, I have to commend you, uh, Catherine, as uh, for all of the work you've done over the years. But this, um, this in uh, Georgia, this work uh, looks like it could really uh, be the beginning of. Uh, of truth uh, for the election of uh, 2020. Uh, we typically give our guests the last word, and you are no exception. This is, uh, uh, you get the last word, Catherine. Well, I thank you for this, for this opportunity, and thank you to all who are listening. I know it has been a very difficult season that we have been through, but at the, at the core of it all, if elections aren't truly fair, we are not truly free. Hold that in your heart, get involved locally, and we can change things. Well said. Catherine, thank you so much for being with us. Catherine Engelbrecht, uh, the president, the founder of True the Vote. Uh, the, the website is truethevote.org. Uh, we encourage you to go there and to participate and engage uh, and prevail. Uh, you know, thank you very much again, Catherine, for being with us. A great delight. I hope you'll come back soon. Uh, this is just too important a topic uh, not uh, not to pay great attention to for all of us. Uh, Catherine, thanks so much. And to each and every one of you, thanks for being with us today. And God bless you all. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.